0: Welcome to Startup Start Now Podcast with your host, Sharina Shiv, a podcast aimed to showcase real and relatable entrepreneurs, side hustlers, and their mentors all living in the UK. Welcome to episode 25, everyone. I hope you guys are keeping really well. This week, I am joined with the Dropless co-founders. I'm joined by Mike Grindy and also Christian Duncan. Dropless is a fully digital service that allows you to easily schedule, manage, and pay for your car wash or valet service within seconds. It's all done through their app. Um, Me, personally, I wash my car every time I go back to Exeter, if I get the opportunity. I love to put my headphones on um, and get really stuck in. I see it as almost a bit of a therapy session. Um, But when I'm back up in Cambridge, You know, I have to fight with two other housemates that have cars as well. And even if I get a space, um, I don't have a hosepipe here and I don't have any of the cleaning materials. So if this service existed in Cambridge, it's definitely something I would use on the podcast. They tell me it's coming to Cambridge soon. So looking forward to that. Um, So a little bit about Dropless. They have been running for nearly four years now. They employ over 100 people. And they've really revolutionized uh, an industry which is quite outdated, car washing. I mean, it's had very little innovation. Um, And the main difference between Dropless is if you think about your traditional car washes, you go to the car wash. The difference with this is they come to you to clean the car. And I think also car washing has had a lot of bad reputation. So it's known for kind of the off the books operations, the cash in hand, Um, and also a lot around kind of mistreatment of workers and that's something we talk about a lot in today's episodes. Um, But Dropless themselves, I love the fact that they have a very strong sustainability eco stance and everything Um, and the special thing they do is they use a nano solution which uses no water and it saves up to around 150 litres of water per car wash. It also means that all of those bad kind of toxins don't end up going down the sewer system um and you know when they are coming out to you there's the use of the you know e-mopeds and things like that so yeah they've really kind of turned this business on its head and you know wish them wish them really well with it and lots of amazing kind of gems during our conversation around co-founder relationships the rounds of investments that they've gone through um and also you know the other businesses and what they were part of beforehand as always if you enjoy today's episode please leave a five-star rating on apple Podcasts. but drop me a message tell me what you think Um, i always love hearing from you guys welcome to startup start now mike and christian how are you guys keeping today
1: very good thank you how are you all good
0: Good. First time I'm doing an interview with co-founders, the two of you on the podcast. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how this goes. (laughs) Um, And hopefully it'll be quite clear from a listener's point of view um, who's Mike and who's Christian. So, Mike, if you want to say hello.
1: (laughs) Hello. This is my voice.
0: (laughs) Christian, go on.
1: Hi there, everybody. I'm the token northern guy on the the call. Perfect. Perfect. (laughs)
0: nice nice we've we've got that out the way now um so mike how's your morning been
2: not too bad we're busy busy as always as you'd expect uh with a very busy finish to last week um so i find if you have a couple of days of meetings you then need a bit of time to actually do all the actions off the back of all those meetings so it's been head down head down this week so far but all good
0: good 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 and christian how's your morning or start of the week been
1: yeah, busy um we had a we had an investor event on friday last week which was a lot of drinks um with everybody which, uh, which which has been a long time coming since before before covid actually um so you finally managed to get one in the diary so a lot of following up from that that evening actually and then uh, yeah just getting ready things for a, a board meeting this week which has been the majority of my morning
0: sweet and was that with investors that have already invested or potential investors
1: that's existing investors. Yeah. So everyone who's already in, we did invite a couple of prospects down, but uh, unfortunately they were here, there and everywhere. So uh, it would would have been nice for them to meet our existing investors, but um, yeah, couldn't make it, but it was good to finally get um, everyone together. There's some people because of COVID that I've never actually met in person. Um, Mm. It was good to put an actual, a real face to a name, so to speak. Um, Albeit I've seen them over zoom, but Yeah. uh, yeah, it was good to get everyone together and and let you know let the guys chat about what they're working on as well between them so it's brilliant
0: awesome no it's so much nicer things being a little bit back in person but I definitely feel doing more in-person things I now need like two days off just to kind of recover and I'm extremely extroverted so I hate to think what the introverted people are feeling like Awesome. So, uh, startup start now. We always like to understand sort of where your journey stemmed from, and you know, and then we'll get on to Dropless a little bit later in the conversation. Um, so, Mike, just kind of keen to hear a little bit about your background, sort of where you grew up, um, what you studied.
2: Well, I'll try and keep it relatively short and sweet. Um, born in South Africa, um, but moved over here when I was very young. went, went to school down in Surrey Way. Went to Nottingham University and studied business studies or management studies, I can't actually remember which one. Um, that's kind of what you do if you don't know what you want to do in life. Um, did that for a couple of years. Then I randomly got signed to a record label. I was in a band with my brother. Um, that's called Island Records. Tried that for a few years, um, gigging around the UK and, and all around London. Um, I guess that was my first dabble into kind of looking after something from a social or digital perspective myself, building my band's website, and building up um, MySpace following. Yeah, that's, that's how old I am. Um, tried that for <laughs> a few years, and uh, it was good fun. Learned a lot, um, but it's one of those things where kind of like sports, you either you either make it or you've got to know when to give up and move on. Um, so I thought, right, it's time to give up. Don't think I'm going to be doing this for the rest of my life. and um, And then went to London um ended up working at a digital marketing agency because that's what i was interested in um well i thought i was interested in i wanted to give it a little test work for free for about six months and learned about everything and then shortly after that ended up setting up my first agency um and that was outside london then i rebranded that as passion digital and moved to central london um built that up and off the back of my experience running a digital marketing agency i was able to Um, execute the ideas I had with regards to um, building my own business my own brand which I've done a few times so followed that track came up with the idea of Dropless started chatting to Christian and uh and four years later and I'm at Dropless full-time
0: loving it amazing oh my god there's so many questions off the back of that so firstly I'm dual national South African so I want to know where you grew up (laughs) And then also, I want to find out a little bit about, you just said you started a band and, you know, you were growing the brand with that. What kind of music were you guys doing? And also, has some of the stuff that you learned through there, you know, been also transferable in what you do now with starting up the businesses and stuff?
2: Right. Um, Born in Johannesburg. Um, Only lived there for three years, but um, still follow them at the sports in which I think they're marginally better than England that so it's mainly <laughs> rugby everything else probably I still support England um, Same, same then, same and then um with um the band yeah I mean that, that, that was great it was great fun and I think a lot of what I've learned in life is just getting to know people to get about to see places to do things um to expose yourself to things that you don't necessarily feel comfortable with and that was certainly how I felt when I was on a stage um, the band was called Proxy you're interested you might even be able to find a video online if you search hard enough um but no it was it was was good fun times and um i think interestingly for me what that kind of meant was i was three years behind all of my friends so they were all qualified accountants by the time i decided to give up the band so i paid a lot of catching up there i couldn't afford to buy the rounds that they were buying so i thought right i've got to do something a little bit different to try and play catch up because if i just follow follow the normal format of you know becoming a qualified accountant or something like that I'm going to be a long way behind them and I didn't like that so I guess it's that that helped motivate me to um do something and to catch up and do something a little bit different and
0: Mm. pretty much say I've caught up now I think (laughs) and Uh, what was well can you afford those round of drinks now
2: (laughs) yeah just about
0: (laughs) (laughs) Um, And what was the first business then you started up? Was that Passion Digital?
2: Yeah, that's why I'm I'm such a big ambassador of digital marketing. I think when I started doing it, it, things were really kicking off. Um, Everything was moving digital. Google AdWords was really, really a a big part of all businesses Um, and SEO. Um, So what I realized is not necessarily that excited about doing the PPC or getting people to the top of Google all the hard work that goes into it but what i'm really excited about is seeing the difference that that can truly make to a business um you know there's many businesses that come to my agency with just an idea or one or two people or a very little bit of funding and we've gotten to number one on Google we know that's generated them X amount of visits X amount of return um and then they put more money into it and it's great to see those businesses grow and grow and grow and go through their different investment rounds. Um, so that that's that's what I love about digital marketing and I'm lucky enough that That means if I come up with an idea, I've got a team behind me who can create the brand, who can build the MVP and can prove product market fit through our sort of various performance marketing channels. Um, And that's kind of what did help Dropbox get started in the first place. Or else I would have just had an idea and been like, well, I don't know what to do about it. So I'm kind of lucky in that way.
0: So did you ever feel that you just had to stay at Passion Digital or was everyone around you really supportive of you then starting other companies after that? Because I know I'm sort of on the journey of, I've got my property management company, but I'm very much interested in online. And I hear this a lot from entrepreneurs that they're doing several things. Did you ever feel like, you know, you could make that transition and how are you juggling those plates? That's
2: that's a really, really good question. Um, I never imagined it for the first kind of six, seven years of running that business. I think it's 10 years old now. Um, But I was aware in my mind that even through passion, I had set up lots of sort of sub brands. And those were the things that got me really excited. Um, And I knew I'd want to do something. I always want to be creating something. And what I ended up doing at the last business, which is fantastic and I still love and I still own, but it is, you get to a point where you've got so many people that you're you end up looking after too many things, you're doing everything all at once, so you lose that sort of buzz and that excitement of creating something. Um, so it is very hard replacing yourself. And I think that's kind of one thing I've learned from yeah. early is get the right people around you so that you don't end up doing everything. You know, as a, as a business owner, you do mm-hmm. the legals, the finance, the HR, you know recruitment marketing you kind of sales you literally do everything and that is that's tough and i would say you can only do that for a certain amount of time before you burn out um and you're probably not doing it as well as other people could do it so well i think when Dropless started kicking off and growing you know obviously with the support of christian i was getting a, my, I was getting a little bit more excited about trying to move over so it forced me to try and work my way out of passion which I knew was a good thing because if I were ever to sell passion, I'd probably have to stay in the business for a certain amount of time. And I didn't want to sell passion and be forced to stay in that business and not be able to go to DropList. Mm. So I tried to replace myself as best I could. And it was quite a fortuitous. A friend of mine um, knew someone who was a very, very experienced CEO of a big digital agency, far bigger than the one I run. And he was looking for a new venture. He had just left a startup that he was involved in. And um, literally I met him, on Wandsworth Common in the middle of COVID when you're allowed, you know, one walk a day and um, met him. He came on board, kind of elevated a few people in the business. And we've got a full senior management team they've been in now for a year and a half. And that was the best thing I ever did because I'm happier doing what I'm doing. I'm happy growing something. I love helping Dropless and contributing to it. I get my board packs on the other business, but it's exciting seeing it run and still seeing people thrive and enabling them to step up where, To be honest, I was probably preventing that from happening because I was trying to do too much. And that's Mm. that's not cool, basically.
0: Awesome. No, well, that's given us a really good insight from South Africa to Nottingham Uni through to starting a band. And then obviously your first and a a couple of ventures before Dropless. Let's move on to I hope that's a good synopsis. (laughs) Um, There's a lot of in-betweens there. Um, let's talk to Christian so you know same question to you tell us a bit about where you grew up what you enjoyed studying and what you've been up to.
1: Yeah sure Um, so yeah my background I grew up in Leeds Um, didn't really it wasn't really one that was always destined to go to university and you know get a job straight out of uni with like a nice set career path. University for me was more um, I was playing rugby at the time (laughs) for a club up north, rugby league. Um, and then I got invited by the rugby coach to go to university rather than apply for university, which was quite nice. Um, mm-hmm. It saved me doing well on my uh, my A-levels anyway. Um, so, yeah, my background, really, I wanted to play rugby. Um, and I was always into my sport. And then by the time I turned probably 20, when you're on the edge of potentially making it, potentially not – you kind of already know by about 19 that you know you're on track to to go far um, it never really comes a bit late for some people it does but I was kind of under the impression that you know I need to really start thinking about what's next and then I did my master's um, in marketing so I actually studied sport and exercise science um, I was playing sport at the time as well it just seemed right and then um, I did my master's in marketing because I was thinking right I need to pivot here i and I want to go into business. I'm not sure what. And um, also I got my master's paid for um, just playing sports. So I got to travel the world and
0: that's ideal.
1: Well, yeah. So we, we um, the GB student squad, we went to Australia, told Australia, we went to Bali. Um, and then on the way back, me and the guys stopped in Thailand for a while, which you can imagine was brilliant. <laughs>
0: And all that, parties and all sorts.
1: Yeah, exactly. So that was the end of that was the end of my uh, my education days. And then when I moved down south, I got a job in sales, which I was actually, um, I actually met one of the guys on Friday that actually founded the company that I first ever worked for, which are uh, a multi billion pound company now. But um, yeah, he was, uh, it, when I when I was speaking to him, I said, I look back at that first ever job that I had in sales, which is raw, tough sales. And when I look back, it's probably one of the best experiences that I had and one that I actually lean on most these days when I think, why am I doing well now? Well, well-ish, but why, why do I feel like I am I perform high in a sales environment and a marketing env- in space? I, I kind of put it back to that and going through a lot of the tough times that I had to go through there. After that, I moved into banking, uh, went to work for a, a company Uh Works at Barclays for the majority of the time in the front office. Um, But I've really found that quite boring. Small cog, big, big machine. I'm sure you've heard it a million times and a lot of people have been Been there, done that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So that was that was that for me. And I thought, yeah, I'm really not enjoying my time and I can't see much um, reward for all the effort that I'm putting in. Um, So moved to a small startup, uh, B2B SaaS solution um, four people. That was it. Um, wow. Small Tower Hill um takes me back now, but um, I fell in love again. I, I absolutely loved that. Um, so that was heading up sales for a B2B SaaS company with only four other people there. And I felt like every day makes a difference in that company. So every every day I show up to work and no matter, you know, at the end of the day, when I feel like I go home, I can really see the results of what I've put in for that business. And I, I absolutely loved that. Um and then that was that was when I met Mike during that time. I think I met him during my my, yeah, my banking days. Um but yeah, we'd known each other for a good four, four or five years or something like that, Mike. I did, about that. Yeah. Um and then yeah, Mike came to me with the idea for Dropless, which Mike says he came come up with, but I believe it was his wife that came up with it after <laughs> stealing his car for a for a party and saying I need to get it cleaned. I was like, Really, it's her idea. Mike. <laughs> And I,
2: I mean, she's got my, some good sh- shares in my, this. <laughs> shaking my head just so everyone
1: knows. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I still I still today say that Bella came up with the idea. Um, but anyway, uh, so, yeah, so Mike approached me with the idea. We went out for dinner, um, told me about it, and I, I loved it. And I said, right, let's start um, doing some late nights and, and planning it out. And that's when it all came together. So, yeah, I started really looking into it and um, started, you know, trialing out different product solutions, how we could set it up, looking at costings. We started developing the app with one of Mike's developers at, at Passion Digital. And, and from there, yeah, that was it. And then March 2018, I handed in my notice and said, right,
0: wow.
1: let's do it. And then not look back since.
0: So a few little things from that, you know, are you still playing rugby? Do you, who do you support? And also, you know, talk, me about, talk to me about your experience of working at that tech startup. Um, you know what transferable skills did you learn from that and would you advise other people to maybe take a stint in working in startups as well
1: yeah definitely uh yeah not not playing rugby anymore um I'm not sure I can uh, my (laughs) my bones but my shoulders have given up really I I think i ruined them when I was in my early 20s but um yeah my shoulders have given up from rugby so I'm just pure golf now and that's me golf Golf. yeah uh and then um in terms of like my time at Kick. Um, it was brilliant. And I would definitely advise everybody before you start jumping into building your own business, having some experience of working for a small startup and trying to just learn how hard it actually is um, to sell a small startup business to a big corporate when you've got no brand recognition, you've got, you know, and, and you've got to really work hard to get your brand out there. I'm not, you know, it's different. Some people who might want to go and start a business up and they've started selling, you know, an Oracle or a Cisco platform to another big corporate. It's just not the same because you've got years and years of heritage there. A startup company is somebody who no one knows about. And it's all about really trying to get, you know, an audience to believe in your product and your vision and and what you, what you, what you personally believe in. And that's what I found there. It was a great product and a great team with a, a founder, Matt, who really believed and loved in what he did. Mm. Uh, and then that made it a lot easier to like get behind him personally and, and help drive that business forward, which is what we did when I was there. And, and I loved that time um, and working with some of the partners that we built in bigger companies. It's so, like you can do it. So it, it gives you that sort of like um, look at things are possible if you do set up and work hard. But you've mm. got to go there and just see like how hard the graft is first before you just kind of underestimate what you're going to actually have to do to uh, to make success of a business that you're looking to set up.
0: Mm. And our Startup Start Now listeners are from all over the UK. Um, you're obviously someone who's come from the north down to what you call south London. <laughs> south of me is me back in Exeter in Devon. Um, but, you know, do you think that London is like the new hub because the new statistic is the leading startup place is manchester at the minute for tech startups do you think like london is a good place if you want to play around with those ideas or is the north still feasible after no. that statistic
1: yeah it depends i think if you start up north then you know it's, it's okay but i feel like with zoom nowadays after the pandemic probably so like you, you could probably get away with it because a lot of investor meetings will be done over zoom but you can't deny that the majority of venture capital companies, angel investors and, and the like, they do live down in London. And there's nothing, nothing beats meeting up with um, people face to face. Like you can do as many Zoom calls as you want, but nothing will be really because when you get angels and VCs investing in your business, their money really is investing in you, the founders. Um, that, you know, you, you've got to have a good business concept and you can always have a great idea and a vision and, and some good numbers behind you, but really, you know, they've got to believe in, in you and, and, and your business partner. I'd always say that obviously having a business partner goes a long way. I feel like Mike and I are like two very different people. Um, but we complement each other really well, which is what we've heard as well. I mean, I'm not just saying that from what I think. Mm -hmm. But, um, a couple of the yeah. investors from the other night, from
2: my existing investment team who came, said they just don't invest in um, unless there's two founders. Just, right. that. just a simple example.
1: So that's very well for us. Quite
0: lucky. Interesting.
1: Yeah, we've heard that a few times. But I think that, you know, by meeting face-to-face, you can really put across your passion for what you're working on, as well as just... You know, showcase a little bit about yourself. Like, you know, this is who I am. This is my background. And you can you can get some of that over Zoom um, and over a, or over a podcast, but um, you, you can never really truly see that unless you know you're face to face. You can you can convey that passion a lot more.
0: Mm. And I know you touched a little bit upon it, but sort of how did you both meet? Who wants to take this one, Mike?
1: Um.
2: Yeah. Well. Uh, again, related to my wife. Um, my wife and Christian's girlfriend at the time were working um, at a school down in, Surrey, uh, in the same class, teacher and teaching assistant. And um, every time they had a, an event on, we were invited down there. And I remember being so excited because those events were like absolute gems for networking um, because it was quite a posh public school. Um, so I met Christian there, as normal, quite a few drinks consumed. And then thought, interesting guy, interesting guy. I think at the time, Christian was building a house himself and doing a lot of belabouring himself. Um, and I thought, right, he's willing to get his hands dirty. He's got sales. He's clearly smart. He wants to get going. He loves the startup world. And I guess that's why, after meeting a couple of times, I thought, right, who can who can help on this project? Because I can't do it myself at this point in time. And, you know, I'm a little bit older than Christian. I was like, I think I need someone a slightly like younger blood to come in and give it their all. Um, and and that's that's why I you know arranged this dinner and um, and pitched the idea to Christian. That's just, that's what I remember,
0: Christian. <laughs> Christian, what's your version?
1: <laughs> no, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah,
0: Did you know what dinner you were coming to, where an idea was going to be pitched, or did you just think you were just turning up for a lovely dinner?
1: I'd had no, actually no, I had no idea. Uh, Mike, no Mike um Mike decided that he was um yeah he just literally pulled it on me we just went out I thought it was going to be nice than a bluebird clap and, uh a few drinks go home feel feel probably a little bit ropey the next day and that was that and <laughs> um, I, I woke up the next morning like interesting uh and then got yeah just started obviously playing things over in my mind like could this work and uh started to get get quite excited about the, the potential of it. And then also, you know, beyond the initial idea, what could come next? Um, and then the grand vision for, okay, in 10 years, where could this be?
2: That's it. You've, you've got to remember, it's not the easiest thing to pitch to anyone, whether it's a, a colleague, a future recruit, or employee, or an investor. If you go up to someone and say, I've got an idea, we're going to create a car wash business. It, it's not the most exciting thing in the world if you say it like that. So I guess that was my first experience (laughs) in trying to pitch Dropless. although it was very early days. I knew I needed the service. I knew I wanted it to be eco-friendly, sustainable, that side of things. At that point, I didn't, and I wouldn't have mentioned anything to Christian around the B2B side of things, which has ended up being huge for us. And I didn't quite imagine the opportunities around um, the tech and the data that we're building out. Um, And to be completely honest, I didn't even realize that the market needed us as much as it clearly does. Um, you know, it was soon after the idea when we started delving deeper into it, that we realised it's one of the worst industries in the UK, for slave labour, um, huge amounts of water wastage, very poor in the environment and far behind other countries. So I guess all of that played into what our initial vision was, which was we want to do the right thing by the industry. And we want to make a difference as well as being convenient for our customers. Yeah. So... Um, it worked out
0: well at the end. So definitely in the title, people would have seen it's around car washing. Um, so, yeah, just kind of give me your quick, that was a really good sort of insight. But tell me a little bit more about Dropless and, and what mission you guys are on.
1: Sure. Um, so, yeah, so we, we, we use waterless nano solutions for uh, to clean vehicles, which help us save around about 150 litres of water for every normal size vehicle that we clean. When we first started Dropless, we decided that we wanted to make it extremely convenient uh, for a customer to manage their vehicle. So that included digital booking. Um, So punching in your vehicle, adding it to your Dropless garage, selecting what you want, where you want it, when you want it, and then all booked and paid for via an application. So no cash, no nothing. Sit back and let us do the rest of it for you whilst being sustainable and eco-friendly. And um, so that was the initial thought and idea. We could use waterless to nano solutions to clean, which help us save water, but also travel light, which means that we could use mopeds, electric scooters, even we've got electric cargo bikes that you'll see the, you know, the last mile delivery guys driving around on, even mm-hmm. that driving us to customer vehicles with everything they need to perform a full job. So, That was the the, the concept and where we're actually evolving and and driving Dropless now into the future is we take care of all your vehicle needs through one central application. So that would be anything from managing tyre pressures, washer fluid levels, changing your oil, booking in a service, booking in an MOT, whatever it may be, we can one, visit your vehicle to supply you with a service. And then two, we can collect data around your vehicle, which would be damages or alerts that your dashboard's telling us or, you know, anything from public databases like your MOTs do, and then give you the tool, which is the dropper's application to, within a few a few quick taps, book any service that your vehicle may need. Um, and that's what we're working really hard to build and deliver um, deliver that service for customers across the UK and hopefully beyond very soon
0: amazing so which city did you start with this and and just if i've got it right so you know i've got my car i don't have a hose pipe i live in in shared living so i can go on the app i can click put my postcode in and are are you guys in cambridge yet
1: not yet yeah it's on on the road yeah
0: right put my postcode in and literally someone will just turn up on a moped with with all the kit to to clean the car yeah that's awesome yeah, mobile so... or, or, or
1: um or push bike. Um, So one one of the three. Um, but they'll turn up and you know, it, even if you've got you know spilt spilt uh, a sandwich or a drink or your kids being you know unfortunately sick in the on the backseat or whatever yeah. it may be. Um, we would then connect you with someone who's got the tools and the experience to deliver whatever services that you want. Um, and right through to if you've you know, bumped your car and you've got a scratch down the side, we've got smart repair division. Um, if, you, if your service light comes on or your engine light starts flashing, we've got a mobile mechanics division that can also come out to you as well. And then what we're now doing is we're looking at the partnership model where everything beyond what we offer, we can then start bringing into the dropless mix to to help you as a customer.
0: Awesome. And you know when you were thinking of the idea was having the app, part really um the most important part of the business and making sure it was easy for the the customers to navigate
2: yeah yeah definitely I think with everything moving digital everything being on demand um everyone expecting what it is that they need now um it it had to go that way I think Mm. that the reason why I came to Christian with the idea was because my local car wash is probably a quarter of a mile away, the other side of Wandsworth. And it takes me sometimes 35, 40 minutes just to get there. It's ridiculous. And um, then you sit in a queue with your your engine on, burning fuel. Then you pay people £6, which just doesn't make sense in my head. And then you've got to drive back. Um, None of that seemed right to me. There were other services that were just launching at the time. I think it was Laundrap, a couple of other businesses like that where they offer to take your laundry away, clean it, iron it, drop it back. And I thought, that's a bit lazy, but washing your car is actually a lot more difficult than cleaning your clothes and ironing them. So surely this would be more suited to an on-demand digital service. Um, So that was a must, that was a must. Our first version of the app wasn't in fact a native app. Um, You couldn't download it, but it was a a very nice responsive website, web app, which works really well. But as always, you do what you can to cobble something together for the least money possible just to prove that there's demand there. And then, as you asked earlier, we, we started in Southwest London. Um, perfect demographic for us. Decent disposable income, um, lots of cars, lots of vehicles on the roads. And our office was based in Clapham. So we thought, let's just try around us. Keep it easy, get as many operatives trained up in, in a local area so that we don't have much time for travel in between jobs. You know, we're thinking of efficiency, logistics, margin side of things. I think we built up 2,000 customers in the first six months
0: wow. um, through
2: tiny, tiny amounts of money. I'm talking maybe a few hundred pounds a month spent, but a of it was very organic and word of mouth at that point in time. And that's mm. what enabled us to then go to um, raise our initial smaller investment rounds.
0: So I love listening to um, Stephen Bartlett, Diary of a CEO podcast. He had Will Chu, the founder of Deliveroo, on the podcast. And he talks about still today, he goes out on the bike and he delivers, picks up the food from the restaurant, takes it to the customer. Um, have you guys had your stint of, you know, getting on the moped and, and cleaning customers' cars?
2: I, I was to um, focus on the, the marketing and getting the customer. So I
1: kindly left that one to Christian. <laughs> how nice
0: it. of you christian have uh, you been out, out on the road, are you cleaning cars
1: yeah sometimes i think uh, it used to be too much um if we, you know if we had someone calling sick or we had anything go wrong i would just yeah just pack up my laptop and i'd actually it was quite dangerous i'd probably be texting customers well on live chat to customers whilst i was driving which i probably shouldn't say on a podcast but i used to try and juggle too many balls at once when um <laughs> Trying to make things work, but then you know, recently, not we'll so pretend much.
0: that was before that came into law, okay? <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, way, way back, yeah, in the 1950s. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, the um, yeah, so I, I used to go out quite often, um, and then to be honest, like that's the best way you get customer feedback, right? You understand like what customers um, say to you whilst you're there, the questions that they're asking, so you can coach your guys upon what to say to customers to help you know let them understand how how our products work and Mm -hmm. and also the little the little cues that you can find when you're actually with a customer about like saying to them would you like to take a look around your car once the job's done just for that extra level of quality assurance and customer satisfaction and Mm -hmm. and also that level of you know when we did when we leave a job we want that customer going wow like what an experience like why haven't I been doing that for the last two years three years since droppers have been going so that's you can really identify those little bits but um but yeah now now more so um, i'm where i'm actually launching a brand new system called uh hydroloop which is focused on the heavy goods vehicles hgvs um so we've been building that out for the last three months so the the, the hands-on stuff that i've been doing is building that vehicle with the guys and, and also going out and testing that vehicle um big demo um we just had a big demo a few weeks back actually at a uh, a large retailer who you definitely know, but I won't say who they are just yet. Um, But yeah, it's stuff, you know, stuff goes wrong, right? It's a brand new system. And I ended up getting a mouthful of um, dirty water with probably (laughs) oil and other, I don't know what else was on there, but, you know, pulled the the hose off, got a mouthful of dirt and right in front of the client. And it just wasn't great. But, you know, it just shows that like, you know, four years down the line, everything's going really well. You know, we're still like pushing hard to develop new, uh, technologies and and yeah, stuff goes wrong all the time. Did you
0: did you win that client?
1: We're actually back there uh, tomorrow. Oh, uh,
0: you've got a second round after a mouthful of dirt.
1: <laughs> uh, second round, we kind of like let us come back once we've refined. But it's a second round demo. Um, and lots of
0: hope, luck.
1: Hopefully tomorrow it could be yeah, it could be a really nice deal for us.
0: Definitely. And talk to me a little bit about the solution. So obviously the typical car wash uses. I'm not even going to pretend like I know how many litres of water, but what's the difference between that versus, you know, we've talked about nano solution. Can we, let's refine that a little bit for our listeners.
1: Yeah, sure. So a nano, the nano solutions that we use effectively, a nano solution is something that provides a layer of uh, nano protection on a, on a vehicle paint surface. It's one of the most widely used applications in the automotive space, but the way that the, uh, the nano solution that we use is formulated is to, Break down and encapsulate vehicle dirt that sits on a vehicle's surface and then lift it from the vehicle's paint surface through the, uh, the hydrophobic solution that sits within, within it. So, effectively, it creates a barrier between the liquid and dirt that gets mixed together and then the vehicle's paint surface. We then use uh, clean microfiber towels to remove, uh, safely remove any vehicle dirt. Um, when we get left with a, a murky texture, which is a, a liquid canuba wax that is built into the solution, which we then buff down. You get a nice mirror gloss finish. You get a mirror shine as well. So it looks like your car's just driven off the, the showroom floor. Um, and in the, in the process, we get no chemical runoff, which means there's no pollution down local storm drains, which is going in the local rivers or water source or plant life. Um, all of it comes back in mm. the washing machine and goes into a foul sewer. Um, and, uh, it also means that we save on average about 150 liters of clean drinking water that you would use, um, you know, to, to drink out of the tap, which is used in car washes today.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Um, and I guess in terms of you know these are really sort of positive things you've been talking to us about and how the business has grown and I definitely want to hear more around um, some of the the B two B stuff that you guys are also working on. Um, but what hasn't necessarily gone well in in the last few years of the business running? And could you share any sort of learnings that you know you wish you could have done differently? Let's go. Let's take take this one, Mike.
2: <laughs> There's almost too many, um, but that's that's good. You know, one of our one of the things we always say to everyone joining us is we, we'd rather try and fail like christian did the other day um, than to um just never do anything at all so we're always always pushing making mistakes learning and 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 moving forward um i think we'll probably touch on it later because everyone's always interested but on the raising money side of things it's always quite challenging um you know we thought we'd potentially go out maybe five, six months before we were potentially looking to raise. But we were on a nice growth trajectory, which we didn't want to stifle. We wanted to carry on growing, wanted to carry on investing. And, and we ha- had an option when we started. You know, I think what some of these investors try and do is they go, oh, very interesting, very interesting. We love it, we love it, we love it. Delay you for a few months, then go through more discussions for a few months, then go through IC. And then by the time that comes, you've got no money. And then you're on the ropes. <laughs> um, and it's quite sneaky, so I think you've got to be super, super, super prepped every step of the way. I'd say you can never be planning your next investment round too early. Um, mm. But with that being said, you also don't want to take your your eye off the ball. Um, so I just think I plan and prep early. We were stuck in a little situation once where you know the legals were taking so long, and it didn't make sense to do any to try and raise another round. We were almost there, but we were out of money. And we were so young and small, we couldn't get a loan or anything like that. So you know, one or two of investors and myself had to put in money just to get us by for a couple of months, which which also added a lot of annoying admin to that whole round and everything that was going on around it. Mm. So you can avoid having to do um, sort of mini rounds in between bigger rounds. And if you can always maintain and manage your cash flow, and I think good financial modelling is, is worth every penny. Um, mm. I, I guess... We're, we've learned the hard way and we always, I'm actually quite proud, some of our financial models, we've always hit our targets, at least in terms of our growth targets, maybe spent a little bit more from time to time, but our models now, rather than promising the world, and more of our budget documents. You know, that's what we need to stick to because it's guiding us as to when we next need to raise and we know what we want to achieve before we next raise. So mm-hmm. I think it's been super, super planned and organized and realis- realistic about how long it can take for other companies to do their research, do their DD and and go through the legal side of
0: things. Definitely want to talk to you guys about the money and sort of, you know, initially how much you invested, but how did you split your roles between the two of you? I know obviously if sort of Mike came to the table with a bit of the idea of the health of lovely Bella and then Christian obviously going, yeah, I'll I'll jump on board. I'll leave my my (laughs) startup career, but how did you split the roles initially and, and work out who was better at what?
1: Well, I think like in the early days Mike was quite focused on passion still because that was a big business that he run. Um, mm. So I always knew when I came in that I'd just take the reins and and, and Mike was Mike was brilliant with just saying just just run um, just do what you just do whatever and just keep me looped in along the way and i and Mike was you know I'll run the PPC marketing element of everything just go nuts and and to be honest, like I'm more of a born like salesperson um, and I knew that like what I could do is sell dropless to new operatives, new staff members coming in, uh, businesses that might want to work with us because I was fully bought into the vision and, and what we were building. Um, so hopefully my passion could come across with that, but just like painting the, the vision of the business to businesses and, you know, internal staff and everything else. I, that was where, that was what I was really good at and, yeah, and I think that it just naturally kind of fell into place. We're two very different people, um, you know. Mike's very analytical, um, and, and sometimes, and and I'm—I mean, I wouldn't say I'm not, but uh, I'm—I sometimes. Sorry, I'm not. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I I, I am, but I, I I like to sometimes just get too excited about an idea, and I can run into something without fully thinking about it. But I suppose like in a startup, in the startup world, you've got to yeah. fail and fail fast. And I'm, I'm definitely good at failing fast because so, I'll just run into something and then be like, okay, that's not worked. Okay. On to the next. But as long as you've got that, you know, in from everybody around you that I'm going to do stuff and I'm going to fail and I'm going to fail quick, but I'm going to get stuff done. Mm. Then um, It just suits me personally but then as we get bigger and we've got, you know, more um, capital being invested into new opportunities and new business ideas, sometimes, you know, it's good to have Mike there and, and Matt, our financial um, our CFO, to say, just slow down for one second. I know you want to run with this, but, you know, we need to really look at the bigger picture and, you know, when can we deliver this and how much is it actually going to cost? And that's when we're like, you know, taking our foot off the, uh, off the gas a little bit and just for a minute and just saying okay is this the right decision to make
0: having the right sort of energies and the and the different um attributes around the table that yeah pull it together and and Mike what sort of side are you looking after then
2: yeah I mean obviously the marketing side of things um but I think what's kind of good is me and Christian both uh, guess we catch up enough and often you know over a beer or something around the overarching strategy and vision of the business and that's the thing we work super well together on um you know we all both have ideas that we need the feedback from the other person to say it's a go or it's not possible or, you know it's not possible um so kind of strategy finance investor relations all that side of things is is kind of joint. but christian's always been more on the ground more with the guys he's in the office more than i am i like to work from home a little bit more so he's kind of got a bit more feel from the people in there the ops team the client service people that we have there um But I kind of said, you know, if we're going to hire the best people, um, potentially UK wide or globally, we need to have a far more remote working ability. And when I came on board, there's a lot of getting set up with regards to the tools, the software we use, how we can all communicate together. What about what systems and processes do we have in place? You know, what workspaces are we using? All that sort of stuff. Then moving into copyrights, licensing, GDPR data, all of that. So I think like with any business, you you go, 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 sell, 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 get your business to a certain point and then realise all the processes have to catch up after that. Um, And that's the only way you can do it. You can't go and do all the the heavy lifting, boring stuff first or else you'll have run out of money and you won't have the the money. And you
0: won't get anything off the ground, will you? So no. Exactly.
2: So we've got a nice sort of rolling sort of wave, if you like, of sell, grow, grow, idea, idea, and then kind of, right, we need to actually make sure that that's all safe secure and done in the right way Um, and and ready for the next next round of growth i guess so it's worked really well
0: Mm. and coming back to sort of the finance side so um would it be possible to give the listeners a bit of an insight on sort of how the business has grown and and what investment you guys have had so far
1: yeah yeah um so we started back in um so Mike kindly fronted some money. I think when I first left my job, I had about three months or four months. It was, I mean, I thought it was six, but it definitely wasn't that. Cause I was just <sighs> spending the way I spent before and, um, which I, sh- yeah. And I was building a house at the time, which was a bit silly, oh, blimey. but you know, I look back all good, all good, you know, happy days and glad I did it. Um, but then, yeah. So Mike kindly fronted some money up at the very, very start. Um, Obviously, not 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 tons, but you know, we just made it work, and then we found a customer who was an investor, and then we approached through one of Mike's contacts, um, a guy who actually still sits on our board today, a guy called Simon Murdoch, who runs um, Episode One Ventures, which are not a venture company that would invest into to us, them or B two B SaaS, but he ended up joining our board and. And he yeah, still sits on our board today. He's brilliant. Um, so we, that was our first investment round um, to get really help us get going, which we invested purely into operations and um, growing revenues and the business on the ground. We did nothing with tech at that point until we raised our next round, which again, we went, we tried the uh, the institutional backers at that point, but we just Ooh. still... Yeah,
0: no.
1: we're big. <laughs> we kissed a lot of frogs and uh, got turned out. We, yeah, there was no princesses in in that one, but um, yeah, it it was a that was a tough ride because then and then what we did we met um, again for the listeners. There are tons of stuff out there that you can approach. We used a, a company called Angel Investment Network, um, who again introduced to us by one of one of Mike's contacts. But then that was a syndicate of angels who are looking at, you know, vehicles such as Enterprise Investment Scheme um, and looking for new opportunities to deploy their money and get some great tax benefits at the same time. So we met with, uh, I think, about maybe 10 different angel investors who, you know, all, all put money in uh, into DropLess. And and that then really helped us to take us to that next level where we build, build our own proprietary technology, iOS apps, Android apps, web app, and Fantastic. and which was our own um actually back-end booking engine, which is now allowing us to advance drop us onto the next level. So that was um, that's where we deployed a lot of that and and thankfully um, which was late last year, early this year when we closed, but um, we met our first institutional investor again after kissing a lot more of them, but we got lucky and, and we met a couple of different institutions that really loved our vision, um, bought into what we're building. Um, and ho- and at that time as well, you know, we'd managed to build revenues up and show continuous growth over the years. So yeah, we we got ourselves into a brilliant position, and and we got our first institutional investor on Pembroke, who uh, and, and to be honest, they've been absolutely brilliant to work with um, since we started working with them on day. De- to be honest, even before they'd invested, even the process that we went through them was brilliant in terms of due diligence and and working with us to understand a bit more about the future of Dropless and how we can deploy capital. So, yeah, that's the journey that we've been on.
2: Just a bit of a few kind of numbers around that. It was, um you know, initially a couple of hundred grand, then about 500, 600, and then more recently, I think it's about 2.3. Um and looking to a bigger raise this 2.3 year.
0: million. right nice. was the last
2: one, yeah. And then a bigger round coming up later this year, which was very exciting. Um, I think I mentioned earlier got 2,000 customers in the first kind of six months when we did our first raise. I think we were then... We jumped to around um, 10,000 customers for the next race. And then more recently, we had 20,000 customers. And as you can kind of imagine, the, the associated revenues are at least doubling year on year. You know, the aim that we always had was to get 15 to 20% month on month growth in our sort of monthly recurring revenue.
0: Fantastic, and I guess these are it's great because it's repeat customers. It's like you know you're going to get your haircut and you're going to need it done in the next sort of eight to twelve yeah. weeks. So it's <laughs> these are all
2: the all the metrics we got absolutely grilled on. So we all had to learn very quick. I mean, for me, in the digital marketing background, I need to know about average cost per click and conversion rates and cost per acquisition, everything like that. So I have that down to a T. But then beyond that, it's well, what is the lifetime value? How many people have registered are going on to book a first time? How many people have booked once go on to many more times how frequently do they book which is every sort of six to seven weeks what's your average order value started as around 20 pounds it's now near 40 pounds um so that was part of our thing is to show we can cross sell and upsell to our customers and all of these metrics um you know what the investors look at to, to prove that we have a sustainable business in the long run that can become nicely profitable with the right margins
0: where do you go to learn those things? You know, to keep on top of this, to get ready for your investor pitches, and just to stay on top of the numbers. How are you both continuously learning? If I go to Christian first,
1: well, if back when we first raised our, you know, first round of investment, we pulled a deck together, and you know, we both tried our hardest to think what we would need to get in there, and we looked online at various other investment decks and and whatnot. But um, you've, you you kind of and like to be honest when we first started i had no idea what seed enterprise investment scheme was or and then so i think a lot of the stuff that we learned was just online you know you start but also like as you're going through the process you get asked a question you pretend to know what what it means and you nod and smile and say yes and then you write it down on your on your piece of paper and you leave and you go what was that and then and then go away and research it and i think like listening to podcasts um around like the industry and and hearing things like this which oh I didn't I don't know what that is either I'm going to go away and look into it like little things like that that we've used to learn but then again I think the the biggest thing that we've done is surround our people with brilliant people which you've got to have a bit of luck for um and but also you've got to be able to attract good people into your mix so that would be like people like Simon who chair our board who's you know, it's, it's give us so much insight to what we need to do, when we need to do it, how we need to do it. Matt, our CFO, I, you know, managed to just get sat opposite in one day. And the next thing he's invested in us and he's now I new stuff three years later. And, but he's like, in terms of building financial models and, and everything else, you know, he's, he's, he just, he's done this before and you know, he just educates then me on what, how we need to build that and, and what we need to do. So I feel like, yeah, you've got to um, do your research. Um, and then surround yourself with the right people. You know, people are always willing to help. Um, but then you've got to have a bit of look about reading the right people, and then obviously keep making sure that you're pitching the passion about your business to get them, get the right people in.
0: Mike, how are you continuously learning?
1: Yeah, I think, um,
2: I've, especially my initial businesses, I was very wary. Of it was just me, so I didn't have anyone to bounce ideas off, like, like Christian does, and that obviously creates a few challenges. And I'm a big believer in just listening and absorbing information from everyone around me, filtering it down and using it as best I can. So my first business is I always got a, a non-exec in some capacity, whether that's I've given away some equity options for it or I just pay someone. So in this instance, I just had someone who I paid for for one day a month to come into a board meeting and I could ask them anything and everything. And these wow. people were always people who had grown and sold agencies or businesses. So they've been there, they've done it. So I basically had someone on hand um, to be able to just quiz and ask questions and that, that was the best thing I ever did especially as I was kind of the 100% owner of that business and then the same goes when we've come in here as Christian's obviously mentioned about a few of them but we've got a couple of other non-execs on the team who join our board meetings who have a board seat um, who we've given options to who have grown and sold businesses in our sector and they just know the sector inside out they know what we're going to get asked and and I think as long as you're kind of humble towards those people you know and honest and that you're always trying to learn they love it you know they love imparting their wisdom on you and 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 we love learning from them and and doing as they say if we think it's right.
0: Love that I've not heard that before so actually just you know creating your own little non-exec board someone you can pay for a day a month to come in so I think that's really really good advice for those solo sounders and even sort of Co-founder, co-founder relationships um amazing and I just wanted to sort of near the end touch on sort of the ethics of the car wash industry I know Mike sort of picked up on it um, very early on it's something we definitely learn um in our business ethics modules here at Cambridge um, give us a bit more insights into that and sort of how you're, you're you know tackling that
1: oh I think I think recently there have been a few uh, publications, one in the BBC about a month or two ago, and slave labour in the car wash industries. I think it's the, sec- well, it's the second highest slave labour industry in the UK. Um, and there's also a lot of, it's, it's cash driven, um, so people are getting paid, you know, it could be like a pound or less per hour. They're living out of car washes, they're having their passports taken away from them. Um, when they're brought to the UK and they're working to try and get their passports back, which they unfortunately can never do because they're not paid enough, paid enough money to to get out of that hole that they're in. Um, and then we have found that recently there there's been certain charities actually set up um, off the back of people dying at car washes when they're sleeping on mattresses on on the floor in the car wash. And wow. this one guy got, got electrocuted about a couple of years ago and um recently it's happened again um in another car wash a very similar incident but um yeah these these are these are set up by people who are obviously very dodgy and they they're bringing people in and they're not paying them fair salaries and the, when we look at it the the biggest factor that's driving it is that customers don't understand that when they're paying 3 pounds for a car wash and you've got 10 people working out of that car wash you know how how are they splitting up that five pounds plus all the products they're using and everything else? How are they how are they making any money? Um, people turn a blind eye to it or they just don't understand it. Um, so you know we're trying to we I mean we can do more to to help educate customers uh, and you know and just general the general public around what's happening behind closed doors. Um, but there are other businesses out there trying to do that that we've that we've partnered with. Um, but the way that we work is, you know, we're all about fair salaries. Everyone who works for us is on PAYE, so they all get received, even like delivery and Uber, like all of our guys get benefits, such as sick pay, holiday pay, and everything else. Um, and we're always paying minimum wage, so our guys come in at a minimum of £10 per hour and very quickly move up from there. But, you know, we need to charge our customers a fair, a fair price in order for, you know, our guys to get paid a fair salary and for the business to make money to keep going as well so um yeah that's 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 the the big thing that we're that we're hoping to tackle and then on the other side it's the um the water saving aspect where people really just don't understand about where water waste goes down the drain and floods into um local rivers uh, as well so that's another thing that we're trying to help educate our customers on um to help save water but also reduce water waste and polluting local local rivers
2: and um you know, as
1: Christian says, it's just about
2: trying to educate people in understanding why a £5, £6 car wash might not make sense. And, you know, I, I correlate it to even with my relatively poor haircuts, I paid £19 for the other day, it took about 20 minutes. You know, people don't don't have any issues with that. You know, relatively skilled, but so is car washing. I just think there's a little bit of understanding and education that we need to really get out there. I think it's yeah, haircuts, doing your nails, going getting a massage, they're all the same sort of thing. And you always tend to pay kind of 50, 60 pounds for those sorts of things. I, I don't know why car washing's five pounds, you know? So that's what, what we're so against and what we're trying to change.
0: Brilliant, brilliant. Thank you. I think that's a, a really important topic to talk about here on Startup Start Now. Um and I just wanted to sort of go through, you know, what have you what are your goals for the rest of the year and, and within the next year for you guys personally and for Dropless? So if we start with Mike.
2: Okay, goals for the, the rest of the year. Wow, we've got goals for quite a long time ahead, not just the rest of the year, but um we are very close to um, securing our funding round. Uh, our next one, which is very exciting, I don't think we can say too much, but it's just a, a higher valuation and more money, which will enable us to um, do all the things we want to do, which is continue our tech development. We've actually got 13, 14 people working on our development team in Bristol. Um, so when you said where do you start businesses, you know, we are kind of London first, but we do have a team in Manchester. We operate in Manchester, Bath, and Bristol and Cardo, but half of our team, our back office team, is actually in Bristol. Um, so we're looking to continue to develop a lot of features that we have going live the whole time um, and hopefully secure this investment and then roll out into new cities as well, as well as launching Hydroloop, which Christian um, referred to earlier, which is you know, our new closed water um, washing system. So we're very excited about that. And the, the way we tend to Grow is we secure a contract um, on the B2B side of things. If we can win a contract in a new city, or ideally in a few new cities, what that will enable us to do is hire a couple of people, get them trained up, and make sure that they've got you know, 40, 50% of their time is already booked up. And then what we can do is we launch the B2C offering, launch all of our digital marketing, support that area, and then we can fill in the rest of their time to keep that person fully busy. So we're working on a geographic rollout plan um, in the UK because that will enable us to take on far bigger, better contracts, which is what all these guys are coming to us asking for. And, um, and simultaneously, we're working on our next, or well, first, I should say, European city to expand into, which I probably, again, shouldn't say too much, but I'll just say typical car washing is banned in Germany. Um, for all the reasons that we've mentioned, they're far ahead of us. So I think there will probably be a a city there that we'll consider going to next. And there's a lot of work that goes into our tech to enable us to pick up all the system that we've been building to date, move it into a new location um, and get it to work with new languages, currencies, times, all that sort of thing. So there's a lot of work that is never visible that will actually facilitate that and enable us to do that switch into a new location.
0: Fantastic! That's really, really exciting stuff. Yeah, I can't wait to see it happen. And Christian, what about yourself? What's in the horizon?
1: Well, similar to Mike, we've. I think. I think our immediate focus is working on uh, this current investment round. um, Just getting that close up nicely and and bringing in a, hopefully, fingers crossed, a strategic partner who we're working with at the moment, Um, and then. To add to what Mike said, I think from the from the tech and the data side, we're we're massively on on the the edge now of of really changing the way that a customer can look after their vehicle through an application. Um, there is there are the vehicle sector and you know aftercare sector. Let's say once you've bought your vehicle, you get it and you look after it. It's still very much fragmented. Every business looks after itself. There's not one central hub where everyone can turn to that's trusted, reliable and transparent with their pricing and, and how they operate and we want to be that person we're not there yet but I think that the new partnerships that we have coming up and the tech team that we've put in place based out of Bristol got a brilliant team there Where we're on the edge now of developing exactly what we need to develop to enable that vision and we've got the right partners in place so watch this space I think uh, six more months and, and we should be there.
0: Awesome. I'll have to get you guys back on the podcast when we've uh started going into Europe and we can find out how that journey's been. Awesome. And my last question to everyone um is what do you guys want to be remembered for? Um, because I think it's really important that, you know, I said this in the last episode, we all, you know, have chosen a bit more of a difficult route as opposed to just working as a cog um in one of those big companies getting our monthly salaries and there's obviously a a bigger game plan out there but um what do you want to be remembered for who wants to go first
2: I'll give it a crack. um (laughs) I I don't particularly want to be remembered I don't really have much interest in that but if I if I were to be I think for giving it a go giving it a try I, I, i I think that's so much better than just not trying at all. I, so many of my friends keep saying, oh, I had this idea that you had. That means nothing. Everyone's thought of every idea, you know, but it doesn't mean anything unless they've done something about it. So I think the people have done something. And I think um, the two main things for me would be trying to change an industry for the better. And I'm truly passionate about the industry we're trying to change. Um, and I think, and there's always a long, long way to go towards it. But for me, been able to hire a significant amount of people who work happily or in a happy environment. I think for me, that's kind of the crux of it. We wouldn't succeed as a business unless we had happy people working for us. So kind of if you succeed and you're creating a little bit of a legacy, you've had many happy people, but that's what, that's what I get enjoyment out of. So happy people within your team, you're helping your customers by being convenient and offering a good service and you're changing the your industry for the better.
0: Awesome. I love that. And what about you, Christian?
1: Similar, really. I think um, the automotive sector, how we stumbled on this, you know, it's just fate that we ended up in this niche of automotive. But I feel like um, being the company that, that reshapes the industry, as I mentioned, dated, fragmented, There's not one company that when you say automotive, that you think, yeah, that they're the guys. When you say retail, you think Amazon. When you say food, you probably think delivery. When you say transport, you think Uber. And I think like, I'm not talking like global scale here. I'm just talking like, even if we did it in the UK and we really made it work. Like for me, that would be, that would be awesome. I think. No,
0: we're going global with this.
1: (laughs) I know, I know. But uh, I think it's one of those things where I just like, you know, you've got to, You've got to set your sights somewhere, and I do set them globally. But I feel like, you know, would I be personally happy? And fit? I already feel happy that we've achieved a lot that we've done. But for me, like, I've got the goal, and I, I want people when we say dropless, you know what it is, and you respect that company and what its values are and, and what it's done for the industry.
2: Well, we're not too far off because the BBC did a little feature on us the other day and um,
1: mm.
2: it wasn't explicitly clear they were referring to us, but they sort of said, well, if you don't want to use water and you want someone conveniently coming to your house, you should get a dropless wash. So I kind I of feel know. like they're referring to a car wash as a dropless wash now and hopefully that will just become the norm. Well, I'm going to get a dropless wash and then we'll be most perfectly placed to be able to succeed, I think
0: a coined phrase then absolutely yeah no definitely when when you're at that level of like hoover or yeah pritt stick, that sort of thing then yeah. you know you've sort of made it awesome thank you so much guys for being on the podcast there's been so That's many nice. gems you've you know, given, and you're really doing something that is changing the environment, sustainability, the way that people live their lives, um, and more importantly, the kind of convenience. And yeah, just look forward to see how you guys grow. And it just is really comforting, you know, hearing two founders come together. I love the fact that you're quite different because I think that's really important in business. And and even you just sharing that gem about how investors do like that, you know, two prong thing. So. Yeah. Amazing. How can people keep in touch with you both before we end? Where's best to contact you? Always,
2: always message us on our dropless Instagram. Um, someone will let us know about that. But I, I guess LinkedIn forward slash Mike Grindy for me.
1: <laughs> I'm not sure what mine is, but I'm sure you can find me. Yeah, but LinkedIn, LinkedIn always. And if, if anyone listening to the pod is not on LinkedIn, you should be because it's brilliant
0: absolutely i will put um, all of your bios website links in the show notes but have a great day guys thanks for thanks joining for me time.
1: cheers thank you
2: cheers thanks a lot bye
0: Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I hope you guys found it really useful. I know I definitely took a lot away from our conversation, especially thinking about industries that have had very little innovation in. It also got me thinking about lots of other sectors where we haven't done this. And actually they've taken a very simple idea or fella took a very simple idea and they've been able to put a whole twist on this. And actually whilst looking at kind of the everyday customer, also tapping into very much the B2B business and, you know, looking at at the growth there. So I hope you guys found today really useful. I'm very thankful for Mike and Christian being really open about sort of the finance side of stuff um, and also the journeys that they went on in order to get where they are. Can't wait to see how the business evolves and I'm even more excited about Seeing dropless here in Cambridge. Have a great week, everyone, and I'll catch you next week with another entrepreneur. Take care.